to Reality Entertainment presents the Think Tank Podcast. Starring your host, he's a podcaster, photographer, filmographer, writer, conspiracy fascist, entrepreneur, explorer, color commentator, picky eater, beer ninja, secret agent, and the world's most influential humanoid, he is Ryan the Area Man. And now, coming to you pre-recorded from the very secretive D2R Studios, deep undercover in the world's deepest, darkest, most secure, Hadron Collider and nuclear bomb tested and approved doomsday bunker, here is Ryan the Area Man. What's up, Dave? Hey, buddy. So, like we said in the previous episode, the Antarctica episode, where we kind of try to figure out what the fuck's going on with Antarctica and all that, and then we kind of ended up with James Forrestal. Mm-hmm. his name and we're like what's going on with this guy and we're, we're like well we need to look into his whole his whole weird death that happened and all that and to be fair we recorded the Antarctica episode like two months ago oh yeah you pull back that curtain and well we kind of shifted things around with uh, releasing and all that and we've recorded a bunch of shit in between but it's good because I wouldn't have discovered more information like that i did right because i was watching uh some shows on netflix and whatnot and you know something that i thought a topic that really had nothing to do with james forrestal and then his name pops up so i had you just watch that same episode which you yeah. think you had seen a while ago yeah i had seen like you know 27 years ago i think when it first came out it was like a good refresher though yes it was a very nice refreshing i don't think okay. it was 27 years ago because good Ob- nice cool Obama breeze. was in the uh like a cool summer breeze oh, it was so just i would say within in. maybe like 10 years ago photoshopped in. Photoshopped. no because he was president for eight years so maybe within the last four years yeah so, right? yeah Anyways, Either without being technical on this yeah. whole thing, Dang. so we're talking about James Forrestal specifically, and, and who knows where this discuss- it may lead from James Forrestal to something else, kind of like yeah. Antarctica yeah. ended up going a whole different route. But uh, <clears throat> I don't think you and I need a refresher, even though we recorded Antarctica two months ago. No. Because the listeners just heard it last week. Yes, they did. So, <clears throat> but I will give a quick refresher. James Forrestal was part of that, uh, was he or was he not part of that, yeah, he was part of that naval expedition down to Antarctica. Correct. Right. And, um. That's how we kind of started talking yeah. about, I believe. Yes. And that's, that, that was the whole thing. We were trying to figure out what's going on in Antarctica. And it led us to his death, which we were kind of, like, weird about. Now, the show that we watched... I gotta do something in really bad taste. What's that? Fart? No, no. He uh, he was training with the Royal Flying Corps in Canada. Where's that? <laughs> the biggest paragraph on the bottom right hand side, second line on the far right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's, it's training bad. with the Royal it's Flying. In... Oh, it's it's core. 
Yeah, but it's, it says right there. If you read it, looking at it, if you don't know it's yeah. core. But yeah, yeah, he trained with a royal flying corpse, and he yeah. was a flying corpse because he died we flying. Could, we could edit it and put an E at the end. That would be even funnier. Oh, that would be funny as shit. Yeah. I still understand why C-O-R-P-S is core. Yeah. Well, there's no reason to have a P or whatever. It should be C-O-R-E. Yeah, for core. Because yeah. even the core of something is the equivalent of the like a Marine Corps. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So why spell it differently? Because yeah, it's That's one of these things that just fucking makes no sense, irritates me, mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry to derail this conversation, but I just saw yeah. that and I kind of chuckled inside. Thanks. Now I got to get back on track. I don't even know Go where ahead. it was. Oh yeah, his death. Yeah, that's fire. He was so he checked himself into a Bethesda hospital or whatever, and um. Because he was, like, losing anxiety, his mind or whatever. Anxiety, stress, and depression. Depression, yeah. Um, and then, oh, well, we were going to talk about the show, but yeah, let's let's recap that. Yeah, yeah. So then, ultimately, he, according to the official story, decided, I just can't handle this uh, stress and depression and all that, so I'm going to jump out of my fucking window. He was on the 16th floor, jumped out of his window, and uh, felt his death. Yeah, before he did that, he put glass in his bed. Well, yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. So before he did that, or, or well, allegedly, obviously before he did the that, there was glass found in his bed, which suggests somewhat, something something went on Struggle. in his bed. Mm-hmm. Um, there was scratch marks around his window mm-hmm. uh, on the inside. The after you know, as he was leaving his the as he was jumping out of the window, he made sure to close that window and lock it, mm-hmm. um, because that's what you do when you've jumped out of a window. Yeah, you yeah. you could shut it and then lock it from the inside, but just your outside. Yes, and you um, also write write your suicide note in your other hand, so you can't tell that's your hand. Yeah, yeah, you definitely write your suicide note. With somebody else's handwriting, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's usually what you do when you write a suicide note. You have somebody else write it for you. I typed mine, so no one could t- oh. know well, who wrote it. There you go. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but yeah, those are all the things you normally do when you're going to commit suicide, right. especially when you jump out of a window. 16th floor up, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, now to the show. This other piece that we... Uh, just discovered on this show. Um, so there was this group that was created in 1947, I believe, yes. called the Majestic 12. This group was formed, This so this happened, this group was formed after the infamous Battle of Los Angeles, which if listeners, you don't know what that is, I guess maybe we can do a quick... Yeah, quick, quick, quick thing on that. Sanapis. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sanapis? Yeah, this? get some Sanapis up here. You can always Google this on your own if you're and What curious. really trips me out is when I did watch this episode and I saw the Battle of L.A., I'm thinking, why the fuck have I never heard of this before? And I asked Ryan that, and Ryan's like, well, they cover that shit up and they bury it so people don't ever talk about it. Yeah, well, it's, it's weird because I bet you if, like we just said this, and 90% of the listeners are like, Battle of Los Angeles. What the fuck that, is that? Was that the Battleship movie remake? Or yeah. or something like, uh, you know, they just probably have never heard about it. Yeah. All right, so <clears throat> the Battle of Los Angeles. Um, it's Echo. There was this, uh, this, uh, let's see. I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it. I'm wondering if I should just read this thing. 
Um, yeah, just start with the alarms raised. All right. So, air raid sirens sounded throughout Los Angeles County on the night of February 24th into the February 25th, 1942. A total blackout was ordered and thousands of air raid wardens were summoned to their positions. At 3.16 a.m., the 37th Coast Artillery Brigade began firing 50 caliber machine guns and 12.8-pound anti-aircraft shells into the air at a reported aircraft. Over 1,400 shells would eventually be fired. Pilots of the 4th Interceptor Command were alerted, but their aircraft remained grounded. The artillery fire continued sporadically until 4.14 a.m. The all-clear was sounded, and the black blackout order lifted at 7.21 a.m. Several buildings and vehicles were damaged by shell fragments, and five civilians died as an indirect result of the anti-aircraft fire. Three killed in car accidents in the ensuing chaos, and two of heart attacks attributed to the stress of the hour-long action. The incident was front-page news along the U.S. Pacific coast and earned some mass media coverage coverage throughout the nation. Within hours of the end of the air raid, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox held a press conference saying the entire incident was a false alarm due to anxiety and war nerves. Knox's comments were followed by statements from the Army the next day that reflected General George C. Marshall's belief that the incident might have been caused by commercial airplanes used as a psychological warfare campaign to generate panic. Some contemporary press outlets suspected a cover-up. An editorial in the Long Beach Independent wrote, There is a mysterious reticence about the whole affair, and it appears that some form of censorship is trying to halt discussion on the matter. Speculation was rampant as to invading airplanes and their bases. Theories included a secret base in northern Mexico, as well as Japanese submarines stationed offshore with the capability of carrying planes. Others speculated that the incident was either staged or exaggerated to give coastal defense industries an excuse to move further inland. Representative Leland Ford of Santa Monica called for congressional investigation, saying none of the explanations so far offered uh, removed the episode from the category of complete mystification. This was either a practice raid or a raid to throw a scare into two million people or a mistaken identity raid or a raid to lay a political foundation to take away Southern California's war industries. So either way, it was a raid of some type to do something. Um, well, that's what they're saying. Ultimately, they uh, ruled it after so much speculation and all this. They said it was a weather balloon. When in doubt, the public's stupid. Just tell so, them it's a... But here's, here's my problem. And, and this should be... Now, if, if you have a brain as a human being, which you all do but most of you, or some, some of you don't use your brain, mm-hmm. and you just take what's told, and that must be what it is. If you fire 1,400 rounds of 50 caliber bullets at a weather balloon, that motherfucker's coming down. This thing that was over top of Los Angeles they were shooting at never came down. Mm-hmm. It repelled all those bullets, and then eventually flew off. Well, that's not a fucking weather balloon. No. And I don't know how you could even Unless, no, say maybe, it's a goddamn weather balloon. Maybe the guy was 1,400 shots of bad, and he missed every single one. Mm. You know, that's possible. Well, it wasn't just one guy. It was a lot of people well, all, all the guys, firing. They all suck. <laughs> well, and at that point, we had the most pathetic military in mm. the entire world. But if you think about it, let's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take their, their side here. You've got a balloon in your house, mm-hmm. a helium balloon. You throw something at it. 
if you hit it, like hit, it's on the ceiling, resting against the ceiling, you hit it, and it forces some air towards it, it's going to move. So the one shot goes. Yeah, but this thing never moved for the entire hour. They had lights. They had oh, they had spotlights from the ground shining on it. Yeah. Like twenty. You you go Google this and you can actually see the fucking picture. They have all these lights on this object that doesn't look anything like a fucking weather balloon, and this is the object they're shooting at. But uh, it was a weather balloon. Okay, well in that case, I got, I got nothing else. Fucking retarded. You have to be literally a retard. Mm-hmm. That doesn't use. It doesn't have common sense to honestly believe that. I kind of want to see 1941 now. What's that? It says right there, 1941, a 1979 film by Steven Spielberg, loosely based on the Battle of L.A. Mm. I've heard of it, but never seen it. Now I kind of want to see it. But I think that's the uh, that's the comedy with uh, John Belushi. Yeah. And nobody liked it, so I might not like it. Well, it's worth a view. It it might be worth a view if I get it for free somewhere. Yeah. Um. I think I have it on DVD, actually. Yeah. I have to go look. Yeah. I can't remember. Well, use your fucking app. I haven't got to my DVDs. I've only <laughs> checked in the uh, Blu-ray so far. And the seasons. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's for another, another time. Show. So, basically, this whole thing happened. <clears throat> that was in 1942. Then, the whole Roswell incident happened. Whoa! Go back to that page for a second. I want to see if that's still going on. Every February, the Fort MacArthur Museum, located at the entrance of L.A. Harbor was an entertainment event called the Great L.A. Air Raid of 1942. I kind of want to go there in February now. I'd be curious to see what it is. I mean, not this February because we're going to Ireland, but the next February. Yeah. You know, the, the next February. I wonder what the date is. It just says every February, so maybe the whole entire month. Fort MacArthur Museum. Well, we'll, we'll look that up. Off air. Yeah, off I, air. I was very curious about that. Because maybe it'll fall. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to see, like, the day. It probably falls yeah. on... That same week, probably. You know what I mean? That uh, it happened between the 24th and 25th. Anyways, so that happened. Then the Roswell incident. Remember the year on the Roswell incident? Yeah, Roswell, New Mexico. And I've heard many different versions of this that there was three aliens, they all died, that there was 12 aliens, I've heard that there was five, and only two survived. I heard that there's only one survived. So, and then I heard it was not even an alien, it was a kid. Like the Flight of the Navigator, whatever that Disney movie was. Um, so, this whole, the whole uh, Roswell incident happened on July 8th, 1947. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Another fucking Project Mogul balloon. Another goddamn balloon. So, yeah, they say that was a, so initially, reports came out that, uh, hang on. Was it July? When was the actual date? And why the fuck is it not? There's your crash right there. No, oh, it's from 1991. Sometimes the uh, Wikipedia has way too much information. Sometimes. Well, they're overloading and bogging shit down with nonsense that doesn't and isn't pertinent. Um. Okay, well, whatever. It was in fucking 1947. I know that much. And uh, everybody should know about the Roswell incident. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Everybody's heard about it. Even people that don't, that aren't into this whole fucking thing. You know what I mean? Everybody's heard about Roswell. So, these two major events. Now, keep in mind, there's a lot of 
other sightings and right. incidences in between here, but these are the two major the ones in the ones. United States. So yep. they decided then we're going to create this uh, Majestic 12, which is what I was going to look up here. Okay. Um, so they, they um, President Harry Truman decides to um, create this secret um what panel or something like that committee committee mm-hmm. um scientists uh, 12 yeah scientists military leaders and government officials yes uh formed in 1947 shortly after the roswell incident to facilitate recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft the concept originated in a series of supposedly leaked secret government documents first circulated by ufologists in 1984 Upon examination, the FBI declared the documents to be completely bogus, and many ufologists consider them to be an elaborate hoax. Majestic 12 remains popular among some UFO conspiracy theorists, and the concept has appeared in popular culture, including television, film, and literature. However, what the fuck movies was Majestic 12 in? Well, you're so curious about, like, wanting to see all that shit, aren't you, Dave? I am, man, because it's like, why would Television they talk about series, it? Dark Skies. Never heard of it. X-Files. The Electronic Arts uh, role-playing game, Majestic. 2000 video, 2005 video game, Destroy All Humans. Um, the a, a book called Majestic from 1989 by Whitley Stryber. Who was a alien abduction person. Mm-hmm. Um... Deuce X is a PC game. Yeah, yeah. The game was later released on PlayStation 2. Well, I have PlayStation 2. That's where I stopped in my gaming, so I could probably go get that. And the comic book series Atomic Robo. Um, okay, that's not, I was just curious which movie, because like, they, they say it like it's a all-over-the-place thing, so TV shows, no movies. Yeah. All right. All right, so anyways... So, this organiz- this committee was invented, and then they uh, or signed in as an executive order by Harry Truman. He put James Forrestal in charge of this, mm-hmm. and then he he was kind of like the uh, he was put in charge, but was like the man behind the curtain, basically doing this for um, Truman. So then he put Vannevar Bush, actually, who was on the panel, was a scientist in charge. And he was part of, like, uh, well, if you look up, I guess we need to look up Vannevar Bush now. But uh, Is he any relation or just a clever name? What? Bush. No. This was a, Vannevar Bush, it was a... He looks one, like him, that's why I figured it out. One of the Germans that came over from fucking the Nazis. But doesn't he look familiar? Doesn't he look like all the other bushes? No, I don't know, dude. It's that's fucking maybe a little bit. I mean, I'd, I'd, as far as I know, he's not related, but I guess he could be. Let's see here. Well, it's the same. He's born in Massachusetts. I could have sworn he was part of the. Uh, uh, who was the fucking guy that came over with the Nazis then? When, after World War Two, and they they like we went over there and yeah 
took all their fucking scientists and then brought them back here secretly. Operation Paperclip. I don't remember the guy's was, name. It was something like that. Let's see. Oh, we're, we're digging our fucking hole. We got like 19 pages open. <laughs> I know. This hole's getting deeper. Uh, just trying to like get us caught up. Van Braun. Warren, Warner Von Braun. Yeah. That's who I was thinking. Okay, sorry. Wrong pretty guy. Pretty close. Pretty close. Vannevar Bush, not Warner Von Braun. Uh, okay, so Vannevar Bush, he was in charge of, let's see, it should say right up here. Uh, he was appointed NECA first National Advisor Committee for Aeronautics soon became its chairman uh, as a chairman of the National Defense Research Committee and later director of OSRD Bush coordinated the activities of some 6,000 leading American scientists in the application of science to warfare Bush was a well known policymaker and public intellectual during World War II when he was in effect the first presidential science advisor uh, he initiated the Manhattan Project and ensured that it received top priority from the highest levels of government. Uh, if everybody knows what the Manhattan Project was, that was the secret uh, project that was, uh, what's that word, uh, compartmentalized, yes. down to the point where hundreds of thousands of people worked on this and had no idea what no their idea. ultimate yeah. endgame was, and it was the fucking atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. And if you want to look that up, just Google Manhattan Project and get into that. So, Vannevar Bush was put in charge of this committee that was put together of, uh, you know... Scientists and all that yeah, shit. Yeah, all right. And then James Forrestal was the man behind the curtains that appointed Vannevar Bush. So, and then uh, James Forrestal was also down in Antarctica doing this whole big naval expedition to figure out what the Nazis were doing down there and all this other shit. Okay, so you see the picture we're painting here. He was He's involved with all this. Yeah. Now, he's behind this uh, Majestic 12, which... What the fuck is it? we got so many pages open, I don't even know where we're at anymore. <laughs> um, so, basically... Uh, long story short with Majestic 12... Um, all these incidents were happening, and let's just say you have, I'm guessing, 12 people, right? The Majestic 12. Well, there's a list of who's in it down further. Was there? Yeah. That's the legend numbers right yeah, there. There's 12. Uh, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, yeah. 5, 6, 7, 8. Okay. Yeah, 4, so 3, 12. Let's just say the names, and not that it matters, but we have Lloyd Berkner, Detlev Bronk, Vannevar Bush, James Forrestal, Gordon Gray, Roscoe H. Hillencotter. Uh, that name's very familiar to me. Uh, Jerome Clark Hunsaker, Donald H. Menzel, Robert M. Montague, Sidney Sowers, Nathan F. Twining, and Hoyt Vandenberg. And Hoyt Vandenberg looks familiar to me. Um, so anyways, these 12 guys. So six six versus six. Basically, what, what happened was their whole thing was to basically investigate and then suppress. Yeah, theirs was to contaminate and put a tight lid on any UFO right. sightings. And probably put out um, spin on all this. Mm-hmm. Like, if So if there's a sighting, they put a spin on it. But uh, this, so basically there's there's a, a alleged connection between the Majestic 12 and the actual Men in Black. Not Correct. the goofy fucking Will Smith movie, right. but the actual ones that, you know, if you're curious about that, Google Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Um, and and don't put it in the movie. 
Look, yeah. look at what the actually don't, are. There's don't click on the first books. seven or eight because they're all Will Smith's movies and yeah. shit. Um, Put so, Real Men in Black, yeah. Real Men in Black. Yeah, yeah. basically. Um, so there's question there, but basically they... Half of them decided, said, hey, we need to get this information out to the public about UFOs. The other half said, no, this shit should never fucking be released to the public. It should remain a secret. So you have, like, kind of a dissension within this secret little committee. And ultimately, I, that's probably what led to um, Forrestal, who was the man behind the curtain. He was like, no, we're going to fucking move forward. I'm... In charge here, I'm going to do this. Well, they obviously, if your government or whatever, uh, you know, the powers that be don't want him coming out with this shit, maybe for national security purposes, whatever reason they had, you need to go to this fucking hospital and, and get well. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of losing your mind on all this. Just kind of take a break. So then he goes to that hospital, and I don't think... Um, he obviously didn't back down. Right. He wasn't and ready to then, fight. He wasn't ready to die. He wanted to fight. So basically, that's that kind of gets you up to speed with... So it wasn't just that he had information on what was going on in Antarctica right. and wanted to release it. He was also in charge of a committee of people that were suppressing... Alien information. Aliens, mm -hmm. UFOs, all that stuff. And he wanted it out to the public. And right. obviously... Maybe the rest of them didn't, and so what do you do in that case? You get rid of them. Yeah. If they don't go along, you either what is it? Get along or get out. Or if they don't, if they don't get along, you kill them or something. Like that. Yeah. It's um, it's really weird. Uh, let's see. So he was Secretary of the Navy, James Forrestal. Secretary. Oh no. He was something else, too, other than the Secretary of the Navy. Wasn't he Secretary of Defense at, at one point? Yeah, right there. Yeah, uh, right there. Yep. In 1947, uh, Truman appointed him first United States Secretary of Defense. Forrestal continued, continued to advocate for complete racial integration of the... Okay, that doesn't matter. To so he was the time. first Secretary of State Defense. Yeah. Oh. Um, let's see here. I'm just trying to like scan this because there's. I mean, if you want to look at some of this other shit this guy did, you can go look it up yourself. But, um, well, here's your psychiatric treatment right there. Well, one there's this part right there. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower recorded he was in agreement with Forrestal's theories on the dangers of Soviet international communist expansion. Eisenhower recalled that Forrestal had been the man. The one man who, in the very midst of the war, always counseled caution and alertness in dealing with the Soviets. Okay, that got, that really didn't, uh, I thought it was going to go somewhere else with that. Um, he helped develop the National Security Act of 1947 that created the National Military Establishment. The Department of Defense was not created as such until August 1949. The former Secretary of War, Robert P. Patterson retiring to private life. Forrestal was the next choice. Okay, psychiatric treatment. In 1949, exhausted from overwork, Forrestal entered psychiatric treatment. 
The attending psychiatrist, Captain George N. Rains, was handpicked by the Navy Surgeon General. The regimen was as follows. The first week, narcosis with sodium amytal. What's narcosis? I don't know. It's a truth drug. Truth serum is a colloquial name for any of a range of psychoactive drugs used in an effort to obtain information from subjects who are unable or unwilling to provide it otherwise. These include ethanol, scopolamine, three... Okay. Why the fuck would they give him the truth serum? Well, that's what I was just wondering. Like, obviously they wanted they wanted to give it to him and get everything that he knew out. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he might have been suppressing information, right. whatever. So they obviously wanted all of it out. Where are we at? Oh, I need to go back. Okay. Um, and sodium amytal. Let's see what that is. Formerly known as, okay, is a drug that is a barbiturate derivative. It has a sedative hypnotic properties. Uh, it is a white crystalline powder with no odor and a slightly bitter taste. It was first synthesized in Germany in 1923. If amobarbital is taken for extended periods of time, physical and psychological dependence can develop. Amobarbital withdrawal mimics delirium, tremens, and may be life-threatening. The DTs. The shakes. Yeah. Uh, so he's been given truth serum and a sedative, hypnotic thing. Mm-hmm. That's first week. Second week. Or, or second to fifth week, basically. Second, third, fourth, and fifth. A regimen of insulin subshot combined with psychotherapeutic interviews. According to Dr. Rains, the patient overreacted to the insulin much as he had to the amytal, and this would occasionally throw him into a confused state with a great deal of agitation and confusion. Well, if he's not diabetic, he's not going to need insulin either. Insulin shock therapy or insulin coma therapy was a form of psychiatric treatment in which patients were repeatedly injected with large doses of insulin in order to produce daily comas over several weeks. It was introduced in 1927 by Austrian-American psychiatrist Manfred Seikel and used extensively in the 1940s and 1950s, mainly for schizophrenia, before falling out of favor and being replaced by neuroleptic drugs in the late in the 1960s. It was one of a number of physical treatments introduced into psychiatry in the first four decades of the 20th century. These included the convulsive therapies, deep sleep therapy, and psychosurgery. Insulin coma therapy and convulsive therapies are collectively known as the shock therapies. So basically, shock therapy, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. And he did that for four weeks, had that, and psychotherapeutic interviews, which... That's pretty fucking crazy. So, uh, and during the fourth week, insulin administered only in stimulating doses, 10 units of insulin four times a day, morning, noon, afternoon, and evening. So basically, they wanted him in a vegetative state. Yeah, and, and they did that to, so you give him the truth serum, find out what he knows, then... And find out what he's planning on doing with that information. Right. Mm-hmm. And then... When everything comes out with, they're like, all right, well, we need to fucking, basically, you you fuck with the brain to confuse it so that maybe he forgets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then, after all this, he's still on this fucking roll of, I'm going to release whatever when I get out of here. That's probably when. All right, so let's keep reading. According to Dr. Raines, we considered electroshock but thought it better to postpone it for another 90 days. 
In reactive depression, if electroshock is used early and the patient is returned to the same situation from which he came, there is a grave danger of suicide in the immediate period after they return. So strangely enough, we left out electroshock to avoid what actually happened anyhow. Mm. Uh, his death. Let's read about this. Although Forrestal told associates he had decided to resign, he was sh shattered when Truman abruptly asked for his resignation. His letter of resignation was tendered on March 28, 1949. On the day of his resignation from office, he was reported to have gone into a strange daze and was flown on a Navy airplane to the estate of Undersecretary of State Robert A. Lovett in Hobe Sound, Florida, where Forrestal's wife Josephine was vacationing. Dr. William C. Menninger of the Menninger Clinic in Kansas which was consulted, and he diagnosed severe depression of the type seen in operational fatigue during the war. The Menninger Clinic had successfully treated similar cases during World War II, but Forrestal's wife Josephine, his friend and associate Ferdinand Eberstadt, Dr. Menninger, and Navy psychiatrist Captain Dr. George N. Rains decided to send the former Secretary of Defense to the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland where it would be possible to deny his mental illness. He was checked into the National Naval Medical Center five days later. The decision to house him on the 16th floor instead of the first floor was justified in the same way. Forrestal's condition was officially announced as nervous and physical exhaustion. His lead doctor, Captain Raines, diagnosing his condition as depression or reactive depression. As a person who prized anonymity and once stated that his hobby was obscurity, Forrestal and his policies had been the constant target of vicious personal attacks from columnists, including Drew Pearson and Walter Winchell. Pearson's protege, Jack Anderson, later asserted that Pearson hectored Forrestal with innuendos and false accusations. Forrestal seemed to be on the road to recovery, having regained 12 pounds since his entry into the hospital. However, in the early morning hours of May 22nd, his body, clad only in the bottom half of a pair of pajamas, was found on a third-floor roof below the 16th floor kitchen across the hall from his room. Forrestal's alleged last written statement touted in the contemporary press and later biographers as an implied suicide note was part of a poem from W.M. Prade's translation of Sophocles? Sophocles. Tragedy, Ajax. Hold on a second. Does it say what day he checked in? Um, five days later from the day he... Uh, so, five days after March 28th, so, so April, April 2nd, all right, 29, 30, 31st, 1-2. Yeah. So, so from April, April 2nd to May 22nd, so a month and 20 days. Yeah, which is, what, five weeks? Yeah. Well, no, a little bit more than that. Well, four weeks would be 28 days, would be your month, so that would be May 2nd, and then, yeah. What day did he die on? 22nd. May 22nd. Okay. Their time for me, if you know. I was just curious how long he was actually in the hospital then for when he died. Yeah. <coughs> All right. So, do you want to... Well, we don't really need to read that poem. No. Um, the official Navy Review Board, which completed hearings on May 31st, waited until October 11th, 1949, to release only a brief summary of its findings. The announcement, as reported on page 15 of the October 12th New York Times, stated only that Forrestal had died from his fall from the window. It did not say what might have caused the fall, nor did it make any mention of a bathrobe sash cord that had first been reported as tied around his neck. 
According to the full report, which was not released by the Department of the Navy until April 2004, the official findings of the board were as follows. After full and mature deliberation, the board finds as follows. Finding effects. Number one, that the body found on the ledge outside the room 384 of Building 1 of the National Naval Medical Center at 1.50 a.m. and pronounced dead at 1.55 a.m. Sunday, May 22, 1949, was identified as that of the late James V. Forrestal, a patient on the Neuropsychiatric Service of the U.S. Naval Hospital National Naval Medical Center, Bethesda, Maryland. Number two, that the late James V. Forrestal died on or about May 22, 1949 at the National Naval Medical Center, Bethesda, Maryland, as a result of injuries, multiple extreme received incident to a fall from a high point in the Tower Building 1 National Naval Number three, that the behavior of the deceased during the period of his stay in the hospital preceding his death was indicative of a mental depression. Number four, that the treatment and precautions in the conduct of the case were in agreement with accepted psychiatric practice and commensurate with the evident states of the patient at all times. Status of the patient of all times, sorry. Um, that the death was not caused in any manner by the intent, fault, negligence, or inefficiency of any person or persons in the naval service or connected therewith. Why would you need to put that in there? Unless you're trying to cover your ass. Well, and it doesn't say that he killed himself anywhere. Hmm. And there are full findings. Well, he just jumped out of the window, uh, which is kind of slightly interesting. Um... Well, if it's clear that he jumped out of the window by himself, there's no reason to put that the death was not caused in any manner by the intent, fault, negligence, or inefficiency of any person or persons. Well, I would say there's a, a, a negligence at some point here because if a fucking psychiatric patient can open his goddamn window on the 16th floor, mm-hmm. that's negligence yeah. on the hospital's part. So, yes, yeah. there is negligence. If you're going with the official story, there's still negligence. Yeah. So, and he should have been watched Fuck better. off with your covering your ass bullshit. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, sorry, I get angry because it's just ridiculous, the yeah. nonsense here. Doubts have existed from the beginning about Forrestal's death, especially allegations of homicide. The early doubts are detailed in the book The Death of James Forrestal by Cornell Simpson, which received virtually no publicity. As Simpson notes, a major reason for doubt is the fact that the Navy kept the full transcript of its official hearing and final report secret. Why? Why? There's no reason right. to keep that shit secret. Additional doubt has been raised by the 2004 release of that complete report, informally referred to as the Will Cuts Report, obtained by researcher David Martin through the use of the Freedom of Information Act. The name refers to Admiral Morton D. Wilcuts, the head of the NNMC, who convened the review board. There were some unsubstantiated reports in the press of paranoia and of involuntary commitment to the hospital, as well as suspicions about the detailed circumstances of his death, which have fed a variety of conspiracy theories, as well as legitimate questions. If it is Forrestal's handwriting in the poem, according to some intelligence sources, then he could not scribble the word Nightingale in the poem because it was the codename of the Ukrainian Ukrainian Nazi elite unit, Naktigal Brigade, which Forrestal had helped to smuggle to the United States to supplant Kim Philby's failed ABN, which was anti-Bolshevik nationals, and MI6 Soviet emigre fascist group. There was also broken glass found on Forrestal's bed, a fact that had not been previously reported. Theories as to who might have murdered Forrestal range from Zionist or Soviet agents to U.S. government operatives sent to silence for his knowledge of UFOs. 
Forrestal's single known public statement regarding pressure from interest groups and his cabinet position opposing the partition of Palestine has been significantly magnified by later critics into a portrayal of Forrestal as a dedicated anti-Zionist who led a concerted campaign to thwart the cause of the Jewish people in Palestine. Some really fucking long sentences here. Yeah. Uh, Run-on sentences. Uh, These critics tend to characterize Forrestal as a mentally unhinged individual, a hysteric with deep anti-Zionist and anti-Jewish feelings. Forrestal himself maintained that he was being shadowed by foreign men, which some critics and authors quickly interpreted to mean either Soviet NKVD agents or proponents of Zionism. Author Arnold Rogau supported the theory that Forrestal committed suicide over... Fantasies of being chased by Zionist agents largely relying on information obtained in interviews conducted with some of Forrestal's fiercest critics inside and outside the Truman administration. However, those who see Zionist designs behind Forrestal's unexplained death note Rogau's footnote to his work. Uh, What does that say? While those beliefs reflect the fact that Forrestal was a very ill man in March 1949, it is entirely possible that he was shadowed by Zionist agents in 1947 and 48. A close associate of his at the time recalls that at the height of the Palestine Palestine controversy, his official limousine was followed to and from his office by a blue sedan containing two men. When the police were notified and the sedan apprehended, it was discovered that two men were photographers employed by a Zionist organization. They explained to the police that they had hoped to obtain photographs of the limousine's occupant entering or leaving an Arab embassy in order to demonstrate that the official involved was in close contact with Arab representatives. Columnists Drew Pearson and Walter Winchell led a press campaign which many would today find libelous. 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 There you go. Um, Libel. Yeah, libel. Um, Us. Jesus Christ. Jesus H. Christ. I feel like Jim Fetzer's in studio. Stop libel. Uh, Against Forrestal. To make him appear paranoid, but official evaluations of his psychiatric state never mentioned paranoia. One of Pearson's most spectacular claims was that at Hobes Sound, Florida, shortly before he was hospitalized, Forrestal was awakened by a siren in the middle of the night and ran out into the street exclaiming, The Russians are attacking. No one who was there that night confirmed this claim. Captain George Raines, the Navy doctor in charge of Forrestal's treatment, called it an outright fabrication. The first U.S. ambassador to Israel, James G. MacDonald, writing in 1951, describes the attacks on Forrestal as unjustifiable, persistent and venomous, and among the ugliest example of the willingness of politicians and publicists to use the vilest means in the name of patriotism to destroy self-sacrificing and devoted public servants. Okay. Word. Um, I like that part that they... uh they published his diary. Yeah. Have you read it? No. I do want to get that book that they were talking about up here. Um, Cornell Simpson's book, The Death of James Forrestal. I want to get that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that kind of relates to him in pop culture games and shit like that. This is on Netflix here. If you go to Netflix and watch Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States, there's an episode on James Forrestal. Really? Maybe we should uh, check that out. That's on the flicks? Yes, sir. I was actually going to see. Maybe it's on YouTube. 
wonder what episode it was. Let's see. History of the United States, James Forrestal. Uh, there we go. Mm-hmm. A little lagged there. Bush and Abima, Age of Terror. So, looking at the ones on the side there, I don't see anything that says anything about him. So, which one was it? I wonder. Well, anyways, that's for future. If or people want to go, yeah, do that. Just go fucking watch that. Sorry about that. That's um, right. We play So, where were we? Right. So, well, scroll down again, real quick. See. Stop. All right. Chapter four. So I was saying, I would assume probably the fourth episode. Which is the Cold War. And that's the day, that's the, the time frame. Yeah, 1945 to 1950. Yeah. What does it say? The story of Jane Forrestal is prominently featured in Chapter 4 of the Oliver Stone Popular Documentary Series. Okay. Um, well, it is on Netflix, or it was at one point. I believe it's still there now. I have it in my thing, but I haven't got around. That's one of those shows that... I will get to. There's another book called Magic Man. Bottom, the very last one. Larger part of Porcel's life, including his marriage and his death, are a large part of Magic Man by Max Allen Collins. Wonder that's like majestic, the way it's spelled. Yeah. Magic. Um. Either way, there's a lot of stuff out there, but. I bet you 90% of the people out there listening have never even heard of this guy mm. until we started bringing it up. Um, what I... It's just really weird. Um, even the television movies got him in it. Yeah. Yeah, the, the so thing about him, like, he knew all this shit, he wanted the public to know it, and everyone's like, no, fuck the public, fuck the public, they're not going to know. If you don't, you know, if you don't uh, shut up and listen well, to our shit, you're dead. Like, uh, so Eisenhower asked for him to resign. So clearly it was higher than him that dis- that was on the side of, no, we don't want this information out. Dave, you have a question? You can look was it Truman head. that shit told him? Truman hired him. Eisenhower fired him. Oh, so huh? yeah, that's what confused me. I didn't think he did. Um... Uh, yeah, Truman. Truman abruptly asked him for his explanation. That's what threw me off. I thought it was Eisenhower. No. What, what order? That? No, because Eisenhower came after him. Recorded he was in agreement with Forsyth's theories. And, oh, so... He always trusted him. I don't recall Forsyth had been one of the... Yeah. Okay, so... But what order were they in? I thought it was fucking... Eisenhower was after Roosevelt. Yeah. Truman was still president when he told so him to step down. when Eisenhower was... See, he wasn't president yet. That's where I'm getting confused. Mm-hmm. Eisenhower was like... He was in the military with this, at some point. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I, yeah, and uh, that's where I was getting confused. So Eisenhower was... So if Truman, yeah, he died during... In, uh, Truman ended his presidency in 1953, and this guy was already dead, so... Yeah, he he was the supreme Allied commander. Uh, well, Eisenhower was. Yeah. 
That's right. So I was getting confused because I was when I saw yeah, Eisenhower, I was, I was thinking, well, Eisenhower came after Truman, so if he was dealing with Eisenhower as president, but yeah, it does. I, I was. It was before yeah. he becomes president. That's why I was confused. Yeah. Okay. So yes, <laughs> Truman asked him to. So yes. obviously there was a decision that was made. Um, the half of the Majestic Twelve that were for uh, releasing all this, and the half that weren't. Had they had the half that weren't cool with releasing everything, had the backing of Truman, obviously. I'm curious of the other six if they were also killed. I mean, obviously, we don't know who was a favor, who wasn't in favor. You have to right. all twelve. Well, of them. let's do that. I mean, we don't need anything else on Roswell, right? No, at least not right now. The Battle of Los Angeles. Everybody can go look that up. Vannevar Bush. We'll get to Operation Paperclip. That was a whole. I mean, are you curious to know? I am. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how many died from suicide or died naturally. I mean, simply just looking at that, I'd be right. interesting to see where this goes. So Lloyd Berkner, he's the first one. Uh, he died young, age 62, um, June 4th, 1967. Quite a quite a bit of time after. Yeah, 18 um, years. But let's see, what did he die from? He's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hey. Died in Washington, D.C. Was an American physicist and engineer. Alright, we want to know what he died from, though. Fuck. Well, there's not much information on this guy. At all. And no... Nothing about his death, which I think is very strange, because every time it's always got someone's death in there. Well, it has his death date, but that's it. We that's what I'm saying. It usually says how. Yeah. Well, let's... We'll keep digging. Detlev Brunk. He died... In 1975, at age 78, another one died later. So, I'm guessing this guy must have been on the side of uh, keep that shit secret. Yeah, the, both of them too were, I think. Let's see here. The other thing is they could have used Forrestal's death as a, hey, now the rest of you see right. what the right. fuck we do, you'll shut the fuck up. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily be. mean these guys just realized, eh, I better not say anything. Yeah, you know what I mean, could be. Uh, once again, no cause of death listed which also could be some type of cover up so interesting though two now we've looked at no cause of death but first all a cause of death Mm -hmm. why unless you're trying to reiterate well like your fucking bullshit story other ones we've seen they'd have uh, a reason for or how they died yeah vannevar bush died in 1974 how did he die early life and work a lot of fucking information on this guy. Let's get down to the fucking part where... There's Manhattan Project. Yeah, let's get down to the part where you die. You dead. Later life. It's going to be probably in the later Why life part. fucking doing that? I'm trying to... All right. Um... After suffering a stroke... Bush died in Belmont, Belmont Massachusetts, age 84, from pneumonia. Oh, that fucking pneumonia. Um, well. Right, so that could be natural causes. It could have been, you know, back in that time. Pneumonia. He lived a fucking long life. Yeah, they could have long fucking shot him up with some shit. What about James Forrestal? Never heard of him. Uh, let's see. It, it's interesting. He did. It says died, cause of death, fall, suicide. So, but... None of the others so far have had a cause of death. Yeah. I think if Forrestal's 
cause of death is pertinent, but the other ones weren't, why? Mm. Unless you're trying to reiterate... Well, maybe because it's disputed. It says right there, disputed. Yeah. Well, disputed well, look is next to suicide, but... Who else? Who else? Uh, the fall's not disputed. Heath Ledger... Well, look at Michael Jackson. Some people say he was killed, right? Yeah. I so look it. at his. See what, I know it's completely off topic, but I mean, as far as seeing what it says mm. for cause of death, it'll be the official story. It has to. It's not going to say. Murder. Will it say disputed too, though? Like because people are disputing it. Well, let's see. I guess in that case, we could have gone with JFK too. Well, JFK we know he was assassinated. Yeah, we knew he was assassinated. I though. mean, that's the official story. And okay. A fucking Wikipedia, Michael Jackson on this bitch. Cause of death: cardiac arrest by or induced by propofol and benzodiazepine intoxication. Huh. So basically, murder. OD. Well, it was murder. Yeah. Because he wasn't the one doing it. It was. I mean, cardiac arrest was caused from the stuff that. Yeah, that's what it induced. Was, me. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Let's see here. What are we doing? There we are. Gordon Gray. National Security Advisor died in 1961. Not very long. Um, Jesus. Died? No. Just a date. Well, he was fucking old. Date and place. Oh, he died in 1982. Sorry, I said the wrong date. Why? What, what date was I looking at? Oh, 1961 he was in office as a National Security Advisor. So he died in 1982. So a year before I was born. Mm-hmm. Okay. No homo. Yeah, I guess I'm playing. Here's the guy I recognize, Roscoe H. Hillencotter. How do you know Hillencocker? Uh Director of Central Intelligence. Oh, I was probably from reading books on the CIA. Ah. Uh, That's how he's, because he's the first director of the CIA. No, That's why he's familiar. That's interesting. Uh, director of the CIA, and he would be in charge, or be a part of, the Majestic 12. How could he be the director, the first director of the CIA, but yet the third director of the Central Intelligence? Well, they're two different things. I guess it was... DCI and the CIA are different things. I didn't know there was a DCI, I guess. Well, there's lots of shit that... Uh, God, all this stuff gets bullshit. just renamed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're, they're the same thing. They're just getting yeah, renamed. Taliban, Al-Qaeda, So um, He died in 1982 as well. Uh, no cause of death. So far, the only one with a cause of death listed specifically is Forrestal. Uh-huh. Um, there's only one that's actually said pneumonia. So let's see what if it's death. Helen Kyle lived in his retirement from the Navy until his death, but no explanation. Hmm. Uh, this is interesting. That. National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena was formed in 1956, with the organization's corporate charter being approved October 24th. Hill and Cotter was on NICAP's Board of Governors from about 1957 until 1962. Donald E. Kehoe, NICAP director and Hill and Cotter's Naval Academy classmate, wrote that Hill and Cotter wanted public disco- disclosure of UFO evidence. Perhaps Hill and Cotter's best-known statement on the subject was in 1960, in a letter to Congress, as reported in the New York Times, 
Quote, behind the scenes, high-ranking Air Force officers are soberly concerned about UFOs, but through official secrecy and ridicule, many citizens are led to believe the unknown flying objects are nonsense. End quote. All right, so now we know two of them that were four. So those two were four, but this guy lived a long life. So I think, yeah, they they made a made an example out of four or so. so. That's a good way to, obviously it's a good way to shut people up. Yeah, because he was like the top dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's one point the top shit, dude. Yeah. The rest of the guys are going to fall in soon. Yeah. All right. Um, the next guy, Jerome Clark Hunsaker. Hunsaker. Damn, he died at 98, dude. He lived till 1984. No cause of death. Interesting. At that point, he's Hunsaker is allegedly one of the original members of Majestic 12 and was the last surviving member. Ooh. Interesting. We had to start this podcast dick. when I was one years old. I know. Why, why wouldn't... Why I called you, you didn't even answer. Well, Dave, come on. Fucking dill hole. We didn't have cell phones back then. I got a rotary phone. Howard right? Menzel. Howard he Menzel. Died. He died in 1976. I wonder if this is where Howie Menzel got his name. Once again, <laughs> no cause of death. Um... Let's read this. In addition to his academic and popular contributions to the field of astronomy, Menzel was a prominent skeptic concerning the reality of UFOs. He authored or co-authored three popular books debunking UFOs, Flying Saucers, Myth, Truth, History from 1953, The World of Flying Saucers, 1963, and The UFO Enigma, 1977. All of Menzel's UFO books argued that UFOs are nothing more than misidentification of prosaic Phenomena such as stars, clouds, and airplanes, or the result of people seeing unusual atmospheric phenomena they were unfamiliar with. He often suggested that atmospheric hazes or temperature inversions could distort stars or planets and make them appear to be larger than in reality, unusual in their shape and in motion. In 1968, Menzel testified before U.S. House Committee on Science and an Astronautics Symposium on UFOs, stating that he considered all UFO sightings to have natural explanations. He was perhaps the first prominent scientist to offer his opinion on the matter, and his stature doubtless influenced by or influenced the mainstream and academic response to the subject. Perhaps Menzel's earliest public involvement in UFO matters was his appearance on a radio documentary directed by and narrated by Edward R. Murrow in mid-1950. Read this last paragraph. It's in, it's it's interesting to me. Menzel had his own UFO experience when he ob- observed a flying saucer while returning. A, on March 3rd, 1955, from the North Pole on the Daily Air Force weather Tarmigan flight. His account was in both Menzel and Boyd and Menzel and Taves. He later identified it as a mirage of Sirius, but Stuart Campbell claims it was a mirage of Saturn. So he's saying that he's going to explain all UFOs and everything with outer space nonsense. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm glad you're dead now. So basically, this guy was against. Yeah, he was against. He was part of the against. Yeah, because he doesn't right. believe in this shit. So Robert M. Montague, he died in 1958. This was right after. He was only 58. Ooh. So, but um, no cause of death. Let's see if we can get anything here. Death right there. Death. General Montague was stricken with an intestinal illness in January... 1958, after traveling extensively in South America, he did not recover and died on February 20th from a cerebral hemorrhage at Gorgas Hospital, Balboa, Panama Canal Zone. Interesting. Um, as deputy commander, 
commander of Fort Bliss with supposed jurisdiction over the White Sands Missile Range at the time of the Roswell incident and later as commander of the Sandia base. Montague is presumed by many UFO researchers to have been made aware of an alleged spacecraft crash near Roswell, New Mexico, or to have had a hand in covering up evidence of the alleged crash, and his name routinely appears in UFO magazines, books, and other media. Hmm. So he was stricken with an intestinal illness. Yeah. That could be uh, given to him, injected. Yeah, potentially. Laced his food. But it's it's kind of it's unclear if he was... I would say based on his age, being so young, well, uh, right, and dying right around the, well... Nine years. He lived about nine years longer mm-hmm. than... But going off of that, I think he'd be more on the nobody-needs-to-know side. Yeah. So I don't think he would have been killed. All right, Sidney Sowers. It's a good porn name. Yeah. He died in nine. No, I'm gonna fuck that up. Hey, 1973. Um. Died. Doesn't say why. Died in St. Louis. Yeah. All right. And there's not much information on this fucking guy. Yeah, nothing. He he worked at Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> good for him. He was an executive. Piggly Wiggly stars in Memphis. All right, Nathan Twining died in 1982. A lot of them died then. Well, they're all fucking old. They're on their 80s at that point. So, I mean, that you can't really say all. Oh, they, you know what I mean? They just kind of. He looks get familiar. Older and die. Yeah. All right, what does it say he died from, though, or does it? It doesn't up there. I just started talking about where he was buried after it said he died. He's got a lot of fucking medals. Yeah. Um, right there. Died on March 29th at an Air Force base. So huh. he was still fucking working. Uh, this is interesting. He was Boy. named commander of the Air Material Command, and in 1947 he took over Alaskan Air Command. I wonder if, because uh, Alaska is, I mean, not that it's... Oh, listen, that's too. See? After three years there, which is in the Alaskan Air Command, he was set to retire as lieutenant general, but when Moore Fairchild, the Moore? vice chief of staff, died unexpectedly of a heart attack. He was elevated to full general and named his successor. So they killed Muriel Fairchild to give him that job. uh, Let's go with a ledge on that. No, I'm I'm putting my stamp on that shit. Okay, well, Dave stands by that statement. 100% active. (laughs) That's 100% accurate right there. That's a Dave Block guarantee right there. (laughs) Take that shit to the bank. All right, last one, Hoyt Vandenberg. Now, keep in mind, none of these other fucking people besides... Forrestal has a cause of death specifically listed mm-hmm. in his like quick pick profile. Right. There has been two now that we found found a cause of death in the description: a fucking heart attack or cardiac arrest. Right? And, why mm-hmm. or am I thinking of Michael Jackson? No, it, it was a heart attack yeah. and pneumonia. Mm-hmm. All right. This is Hoyt Vandenberg. This is the guy that you thought sounded familiar. The name sounds familiar, but he don't look familiar. He died in 1954. So he's right in that 
window of uh, negligence. No cause given. Of course not. Uh, so let's see. Scroll down later life. Because uh, we need to know that he was a golfer. It's mm-hmm. always important. Uh, prostate cancer. That's what it says for him. So, of the 12, we have cause of death for four of them. And only one of them committed suicide. Allegedly. Allegedly. Okay, so... Well, he was... He got... When she died, many, many years after him, they buried her next to him. In Arlington National Cemetery. I thought that was only four... Yeah, usually... I don't know, maybe you can, if you're... Spouse can be like on top of you or under you or whatever. And I did think it was only for that. All right, there. His wife Gladys started the concept of the Arlington Ladies. The -hmm. program provides that a military lady of the appropriate service represents the service chief at all military funerals. She was buried alongside her husband. So maybe because she started something? Hmm. I don't know. Well, either way. Yeah. Um, So. They're all dead now. No more Majestic 12. But that's the question. Could it be that this organization, this committee, is still going with 12 other members or something like that? I would think that... Maybe renamed? I would think... Well, I would think that it would have more information on that, like... Really? Yeah, if they if they had been able to link it, they'd have it in a Wikipedia. But I, I, I'd say you'd be... If you were trying to keep shit quiet... And this was such a fucking, like, secret committee. Let it come out, the oh, Majestic 12, and people will fucking worry about that. And then think uh, it's done now, because whatever. But yet, it, like, still is going, but it's called something else. And it's hidden deep within whatever CIA is something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just... It's easy to do, or deep within the Air Force. Yeah. Even I think I think it's still out there. Is something as something else could be called the Men in Black now. I mean, or it could be well, it could be the dudes in blue now. You never know. You know something like I, I don't know. It may maybe done. All Men in Black lives matter. No, <laughs> I disagree with that. What is this? I wonder. My stomach is growling like fucking. I hear that. Me. Uh, so if people are hearing that at home, don't be alarmed. It's just my stomach. Like uh, that refers to the company in the game. I think is all it is. Um. Hmm. I think it's funny that some people think that that MJ12 is all a hoax and that it never existed. Right. When it it did, but. If, I mean, I guess if the FBI, so you can play a level of disinformation here, these documents get out, the FBI obtains them and says, no, it's all bullshit, it's all fake, these are all fake documents. I mean, we've been dealing with fake news long before Mm -hmm. that became a trending thing. You know what I mean? Um, Let's see. There's another website that we were going to go over, I think. I don't want to read all of this because that's a lot that's to fucking read. Lot. But I want to find. Well, it has MKJ on there. Okay, maybe here. Or MLKJ3, or whatever the fuck they call his ass. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Martin Luther King. Oh, fuck that guy. Yeah, they had him. They were talking about him down there on the page more. Alright. Maybe I do need to read some of this because. 
I think it's going to be pertinent to what we're discussing here. And I think this is going to add a little bit more detailed stuff from the Forrestal family of what they were told, things like that. So, <clears throat> Oh, dude, the first fucking line is powerful. Well, that's what I'm getting with. Sonda's uh, going to read it. It was written by uh, you in Washington, D.C. D.C. Dave, represent... The two highest-ranking government officials in the history of the American Republic to have committed suicide, those are in air quotes, are Deputy White House Counsel Vincent W. Foster, Jr. on July 20, 1993, and Secretary of Defense James V. Forrestal on May 22, 1949. Actually, Forrestal was not a government official at the time of his death. He had been rather abruptly removed from office on March 28th, and after almost immediately suffering some kind of breakdown, he had been kept against his will since April 2nd, so you were right on the date there, mm -hmm. a period of more than seven weeks on the 16th floor at the Bethesda Naval Hospital. Since he was no longer a government employee, it is unclear upon what authority he was being cared for at this U.S. military facility. That's a good point. That is a very good point. Though technically no longer a government official at the time of his death, Forrestal was a far more prominent and powerful man than Foster, independently wealthy since his days as president of Dylan Reed and Company on Wall Street, as Secretary of the Navy, he had graced the cover of Time Magazine on October 29, 1945. In September of 1947, even though he had opposed the legislation that created the department, Forrestal was made America's first Secretary of Defense. Widely acclaimed as an extraordinarily dedicated and effective administrator, he rivaled Secretary of State George C. Marshall as the best-known member of President Harry Truman's cabinet. <clears throat> so, uh, so he was best-known member. Uh, of Truman's cabinet, but yet Truman asked him to fucking to go. Interesting. Both Foster and Forrestal, it's weird that their names are so close. Yeah, too, no, that's what I was thinking too. Are said to have been suicidally depressed. Indeed, this is usually the first thing that will be mentioned when the matter of the death of either of these two men is brought up. The evidence that either of them was as was is such a disturbed mental state that he would resort to such an extreme solution is actually quite weak. In Foster's case, it rests heavily upon the very doubtful authenticity of a disjointed sophomoric note belatedly found in a briefcase that had previously been emptied out in full view of a number of people. In Forstall's case, the public was told in the very first press announcement of his death that he had stopped in the middle of copying over a classical poem, one that seems to welcome in certain circumstances the ending of one's life. We have never been told how anyone knows that Forrestal actually wrote what he is said to have written, although author Arnold Rogow, um, the man most responsible for fixing in the public mind the notion that Forrestal was mentally unbalanced, has written without the first bit of evidence for it that Forrestal was seen writing it. Authors Townsend, Hoops, and Douglas Brinkley have also stated that Forrestal was seen writing it but by a different person from the one cited by Rogow, although they give Rogow as their source. That was the longest fucking sentence I think I've ever read in yeah, my entire life. Yeah, it's they had all those paragraphs, or uh, parentheses, and all the extra books and shit that they wrote. Yeah. Well, that's a giant fucking sentence, yeah. dude. Um, curiously, nowhere on the public record are the actual would-be witness or witnesses themselves quoted directly on this matter. Defenders of the official line on Foster's death almost never refer to the known evidence. Rather, they allude to the depression as though it were a proven fact. They invoke authority 
either the authority of the family, most of whom have publicly at least accepted the official conclusion, or of the authority of the various official investigations that have been made of his death. And they raise questions about the motive. If Foster was murdered, who did it and why? It is perhaps a measure of how much more innocent a time it was in America in 1949 that, although such arguments against murder in the Forrestal case are far weaker than in the Foster case, the official suicide line seems to have gone generally unchallenged. Take, for instance, the reaction of the Forrestal family. Perhaps the person closest to James Forrestal in the whole world was his brother, Henry. This is from the obscure book, The Death of James Forrestal, by Cornell Simpson, one of the few people who did question the suicide conclusion. At his home in Beacon, New York, Henry Forrestal stated to this author that James Forrestal positively did not kill himself. He said his brother was the last person in the world who would have committed suicide and that he had no reason for taking his life. When Forrestal talked to his brother at the hospital, James was having a good time planning the things he would do following his discharge. Henry Forrestal recalled that Truman and new defense secretary Lewis Johnson agreed that his brother was in fine shape and that the hospital officials admitted that he would have been released soon. To Henry Forrestal, the whole affair smelled to high heaven. He remarked about his brother's treatment at the hospital, his virtual imprisonment, and the censorship of his visitors. Henry Forrestal had never heard of such treatment and questioned why it should have been allowed. He further questioned why the hospital officials lied about his brother being permitted all the, video, all the visitors he wanted. He was bitter when recounting that from the first minute the officials had insisted the death was a result of suicide, that they did not even consider the possibility of murder, even though there was no suicide note, though his brother acted perfectly normal when the corpsman saw him only a few minutes before his death, though the bathrobe cord was knotted tightly around his neck. He considered it odd that his brother had died just a few hours before he, Henry, was to arrive and take James out of the hospital. I find that interesting. It's mm -hmm. almost like, a, well, this is a last-ditch effort here. Um, then he repeated his belief that James Forrestal did not kill himself, that he was murdered, that someone strangled him and threw him out, out the window. Henry Forrestal went on to ask why the authorities did not have the decency to admit these these things mm. and then try to apprehend the murderer. He lamented the fact that the case was hurriedly hushed up in an apparent attempt to avoid a scandal. He went on to say that he was a Democrat, but nevertheless he blamed the Truman, Truman administration for covering up his brother's murder, for letting it happen, and for the way James Forrestal was treated in the hospital. He concluded that he was damned bitter about it, but did not know what he could do. When family members of victims don't agree with the official line, whether it be his case or the Oklahoma City bombing, TWA 800, Pan Am 103, the Martin Luther King Jr. murder, or 9-11, we seldom hear about much about it in our press. The Forrestal death is an outstanding example of that rule. The press also typically give great attention to the findings of any official body that has been appointed to make an investigation. The heavily lauded Warren Commission is the best-known instance of this phenomenon. In the Foster death, it was f first a report by Robert Fiske, and then one by Ken Starr. Whoa. Dave, you must be way ahead of me. No, no, because you said Ken Starr. Yeah, the uh, guy that investigated Clinton. Yeah, that's why I said whoa, because oh, okay. he did that too then for Foster? Oh, see, you said Foster, I'm thinking Forrester. See, or Forrestal, yeah, well, they're yeah, too goddamn close. Yeah. That's why I was like, whoa, well, I was Ken Starr doing it way back then. That's why I was confused. Yeah. Uh, no, Goddamn I don't think Ken Starr was alive. I didn't think then. so either. That's why I was like, whoa. Yeah. Goddamn names are too close. Yeah, it's interesting, though, because Ken Starr, who went after Clinton with the whole... Uh, Wasn't it the Monica thing? Well, 
Yeah, basically, he was investigating uh, Foster's, not Foster, Foster's death. Mm-hmm. I know, see, that's what gets me crossed up. But, but it's, you know, because Foster died in 93, so it was right in that same time. Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder if uh, the Clintons maybe had Foster killed. That could be. Um, so what do we have with the Forrestal death? It's the Wilcutts Review Board, named for Rear Admiral Morton D. Wilcutts, the head of the National Naval Medical Center. The re- Review Board took the testimony... Of all witnesses and finished its work on May 30th. It was not until October 11th, however, that its conclusions were released to the public. And here's what was discovered as related on page 15 of the New York Times of October 12th, 1949. I might read that. That's yeah, this is the shit we read on the yeah. other page, uh, ending with that the death was not caused in any manner in, by the intent, fault, negligence, or inefficiency. I still argue that, obviously, if the official story is true, there's neg- negligence mm-hmm. in the fact that a patient could get a fucking window open. Yeah, but then at least they locked it back up when they were done. Yeah. yeah. After he jumped, he made sure it was mm-hmm. shut and locked. That's what I'm saying. Uh, that's it, folks. Notice what's missing. There is no conclusion of suicide. They just tell us that the forest, that Forrestal died from a fall from a high point in the building and that he had been depressed. But they don't say who was responsible for the fall. They don't even make mention of the dr- dressing gown sash that was knotted tightly around the body's neck, so they don't have to explain it. There was no police investigation, so this is the official last word on Forrestal's death. The findings upon which these conclusions are based were kept secret, and they remain secret to this day. Once again, absolutely no reason for that unless you're covering something up. Mm -hmm. If anyone did indeed witness Forrestal transcribing words from a poem onto a notepad shortly before he took his fatal plunge, it would be in the review board testimony. Also, if someone saw that shit, there's... Uh, something you would investigate if there's yep. this fucking person's crazy or something like that. So well, like earlier it said, there, nobody came forward. There was no no witness statements, but supposedly yeah, in the books these, they have people saw it. Yeah, I get it. Uh, the authors Hoops and Brinkley, in their extensive Forrestal biography, concealed from the readers the fact that this report has never been made public. Rogau mentioned the fact in passing in a footprint or foot footnote. footnote, footnote. Sorry. In a footnote, and made nothing of it, as though such things were routine and acceptable in this government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Finally, there is a matter of the motive and the likely suspects. It is no mystery at all. Forrestal's greatest enemies were, and who benefited immensely from his death. Um, when someone dies violently and suspiciously, the usual question investigators want to answer is, who had a murder motive? Did the deceased have enemies? Had he been threatened by anyone? Was there anyone who stood to gain from his death? If so, did the party or parties in question have anything in their past to indicate that they might be capable of murder, and did they have the opportunity to commit the crime? In Forsall's case, the answers are yes, 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 and yes. (laughs) For over a year, he had been subject to a vilification campaign in the press, the likes of which hardly any public official has ever had to endure in America. Well, until... Trump became president. Well, when was yeah, yeah. Uh, leading the campaign from the left and the right, respectively, were America's two best-known and most powerful syndicated columnists, Drew Pearson and Walter Winchell. They painted Forrestal as a corrupt tool of Wall Street and the oil companies who put the interest is of his cronies ahead of concern for the well-being of refugees from European perception. His big offense was that he was outspoken in his opposition to the creation of the state of Israel. The entire foreign policy establishment led by Secretary of State Marshall felt the same way, but the strong-willed Forrestal was the lightning rod for the supporters of Israel. He had been, or he had received threatening telephone calls, and he complained of being followed and electronically bugged. 
It has also been incredibly reported that the Zionists attempted to blackmail him over the financial assistance that his investment banking firm, Dylan Reed, had given to the Nazis prior to World War II. See, the funny thing is, everything we've talked about with Forrestal, we haven't even mentioned anything about Israel and all that shit. Right. You know what I mean? He was so far, and he had so much going on. Yeah. His hands were in many cookie jars. Yes. <clears throat> Which uh, makes you more of a... Target. Target. But, I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, none of those other things really... Look at the smear campaign they do with, with Trump. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, they're just... They, they find anything they can, even though right. there's proof after proof that there was no Russian collusion or anything, Russian hacking, none of this shit, but yet we're maintaining this fucking story right. from mainstream media. Like, there's no reason for it at this point, but they have to continue their bullshit lies. Because they're a bunch of fucking whores. You know, and it's the same thing. Like, this is the first time this stuff, this this uh, game plan has been, has been rehashed constantly throughout the history. Yep. So, you know... It's kind of ridiculous that people can't see this. Uh, anyways, one might argue that because Israel had already been recognized by the United States by the time Forrestal died, and because he had been removed from the Truman cabinet and discredited by his breakdown and hospitalization, he was no longer a threat to the supporters of Israel. But he was a man of prominence, wealth, and determination who intended to buy a newspaper and to write a book that threatened to expose a number of Roosevelt and Truman administration secrets, especially related to the machinations that brought the United States into World War II and the wartime policies that advanced the interest of the Soviet Union. His voluminous diary was confiscated by the Truman White House and its full contents have never been revealed. So, you know, why would they do that, too? Why would they confiscate his diary? That's his own personal effects. Yeah. You know? And why can't we see it? Right. If you're not covering something up, release it. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. There's no, like, why do they still have all of Lee Harvey Oswald's Everything, his fucking uh, birth certificate, his um, paychecks, all that stuff's classified. Right. There's no reason to classify it if he, if the official story is what you say it is. There's right. no reason for it. Well, there is because the official story is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and because he had nothing to fucking do with it. Yep. Um, but see, all this shit that they classify and, and you can never release release any of it, why? You can't tell me right now... There's still a, a fear of national security being leaked because of something this guy knew in 1949. They're that was worried how that many fucking years ago now? I know, right? There's no reason for They're it. They're worried about how the public will react. If they, they have to continue to deny now, because look at the uh, Hillary's America movie we watched. It's deny, deny, deny. Mm-hmm. You know, If they finally come out after 70 years of lying to us about all of this stuff, no, they're gonna yeah, lose so well, much face. The, the world would collapse. Well, yeah, what I'm you know saying what I mean? is, if the official story is true, oh yeah, 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 seventy years later, it's whatever's in those documents. Assuming the official story is true, mm-hmm. there's nothing that he would have information on, right. supposedly. Right. If what you want us because these same people that say that oh, there's the official story is true would say that Majestic Twelve doesn't exist. Right. Okay, then there's absolutely nothing that he has that could affect our national security today. Nothing. Right. Because it's 70 fucking years old. There's n- no continuing project that we know about that's still going on that this guy would have been involved in that if you released his information from 70 fucking years ago, it would uh, ruin a operation today. Unless 
there's shit that they don't right. that, that would potentially maybe the Majestic Twelve still exists mm-hmm. with a different name, or the official story isn't true. Right. There's there's only those reasons why you wouldn't release right now. Yeah. So I agree. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. The, the and they won't answer the questions logically. Yeah. They'll they'll deflect and yeah. So and just fucking release it. You want people yeah. to stop asking questions? Release it all. Same thing with Kennedy. Same thing with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. All yeah. this shit. You want to stop being bothered? Release it all. Just but you can't. Because, and stop lying to Because it. you would find yourselves in in such fucking. All of a sudden, your whole conspiracy theory. Uh, accusation line that is supposed to like destroy anybody that questions you. It would come out that that they're all fucking right, and how you've been lying. Yep. You know what I mean. Uh, most importantly, though, it was feared that he would continue to work against the interests of Israel. The anonymous toward Forrestal continues to the present day in Zionist circles, who continue to characterize this this most able and dedicated of public servants as an anti-Semite and a nut. If anyone within the Truman White House had anything to do with Forrestal's death, the most likely suspect would be the shadowy string puller David Niles, a man with connections both to the Zionists and to the Communists. The previously mentioned author, Simpson, sees him as a likely suspect primarily because of his Communist affinities, and Simpson provides us with a laundry list of outrages perpetrated by the Communists in pursuit of world domination. But one should not overlook the ruthless record of the Israelis from the assassinations of Lord Moyne and Count Benedote and the bombing of the King David Hotel, all of which predated the Forrestal death, right up to the more recent massacres in Kana and Jenin and the systematic assassination of Palestinian leaders. And although the communists might well have had many infiltrators in the Roosevelt and Truman administrations, no one has ever suggested that they dominate America's news media. It is the news media that has vigorously sold the story that James Forrestal committed suicide and has kept silent about the fact that the only serious government investigation of the death has been kept secret from the American public. The news media also heavily publicized the books by Rogow and Hoops and Brinkley, which sell the suicide line, but they published not one single review of the critical book by Cornell Simpson. Hmm. Kind of the whole um, James Fetzer deal. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll sell every other Amazon or every other book on Amazon, but the one that's actually right, we're not exactly. going to. Exactly. I wonder if that one, the uh, Simpson book, is on Amazon. What was it called again? Uh, hang on. I gotta go through my website. And click. Well, the you banner. could just type his name, I guess, Cornell Simpson, and look his books that way. Yeah, right there. Definitely. Uh, look how much it is. Jesus Christ. $90, and that's for, well, used, basically. Uh, that's kind of fucking ridiculous, the price. Yeah, it is. Uh, for me, not quite worth $90, although I would like to read it, so it'd probably be something I'll put in my wish list and watch right. it watch and it, wait right. till it goes down, if it ever goes down. Um, it's interesting. Oh, shit. Careful. Yeah. No, I can shit over. Oh, shit. What'd you do? I don't know. All right. The Death of James Forrestal. Rare out-of-print book. Oh, so it's out of print. Um, hardcover, 90 bucks. Forrestal Diaries by James Forrestal. Hmm. 
Those were only two dollars and ninety nine cents. Nice for a hardcover. The uh, oh, wait, didn't it say it, they didn't ever were revealed in that one guy's thing? But it was said it on Wikipedia. Remember, because ooh, they released it. Um, you can buy his book on eBay for forty bucks. Oh, the uh, I might have to get it. Forty bucks, a little more attainable. All right, uh, for the Forrestal Diaries, it says. Uh, James Forrestal was the last cabinet-level United States Secretary of the Navy and the first United States Secretary of Defense. His diaries from 1944 to March 1949 were serialized in the New York Herald Tribune in 1951, published as a 581-page book, The Forrestal Diaries, edited by Walter Mills in October 1951. They were censored prior to publication. Oh, see, why even read it now? They censored it. Well, it was prior to publication. Yeah, so it's... You're really pro- if there's anything in there that's pertinent, it's probably blacked out. Mm-hmm. Let's see what these people huh. say. Lightly edited to capture the words set down by James Forrestal. Lightly, lightly edited, edited, lightly. I'd love to see a fucking picture. Um, hmm. Trying to see if there's any... I gave it a three. After doing a little research, I had a strong feeling his death was not a suicide, but a homicide. When I found out about this book, I was anxious to find any clues as to why he was disliked or who his enemies might have been. Unfortunately, I later learned, and in conjunction, found out by reading this book, that his diaries was handed over to the White House and Department of Defense prior to release. The author also edits the diary to fit a book format. The end result of this is a bland, watered-down view of Forrestal's thoughts and ideas. There is no indication of statements he made that were antagonistic to people or ideas, or that enemies were made from his policies. In fact, through the whole book, he seems to have have a friendly relationship with President Truman and his administration. But out of nowhere, the last few pages have Truman calling for his resignation and the media starting a campaign to smear his name. Throughout the book, James Forrestal comes across as a very intelligent, concise, detailed individual who performed his duty with discipline and principle. For him to become suicidal and depressed in such a short period is not believable to me. His life seemed eerily similar to one Vince Foster, who was murdered in the Mm -hmm. Clinton presidency. There's more to this story than meets the eye. My gut feeling is Forrestal was going to expose some things in this government, and in fact, he was an anti-communist and is known to have been conversing with one Senator McCarthy. He also had made some remarks in regard to government officials seemingly making policy that enhanced the communist cause, China being the perfect example. Senator McCarthy was vilified for trying to root out communism, but he was on the outside looking in. James Forrestal was on the inside and might have been in the process of exposing it to the outside. And if that was the case, it isn't hard to see why he had to be removed. Yeah, I think that fucking review is about uh, all you need to read. Yeah. So it's not worth buying because it's all fucking garbage. What it is is they, after they took it, they went and changed it all. Mm-hmm. And then thought, oh, well, it's fucking... Uh, we'll make money on it now. Yeah, we can make money on this fucking mm-hmm. guy. Making everybody think that, oh, well, they're going to get something good. Yeah. Uh, make money on it. But it's all been fucking changed so, and, yeah. and made to tell a narrative. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's, it's their narrative now. Saying that, oh yeah, it's his words, we just edited it to make it more readable. Bullshit, you took everything out and changed it. Yeah. I hate shit like that. Yeah. It's, so, like, it's like you taking my book and changing it all completely. Yeah. To make it more readable and, and shit. Or my version of your story. Right, right. Or something. Like, like maybe you talk shit about 
uh, well, let's say, I mean, I don't know what the motivation would be, but let's say I had some something I didn't like about your book. Mm. So I took your book, and then I rewrote it, and kind of changed the things that I didn't like about it, added some other stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe expanded the little bit about me in the book, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, made me look a little better and all this and, you know, whatever, and then re-released it as uh, Days Not Here Diaries right. or something. And, you know what I mean? It's because I wanted to tell my own narrative of whatever because the official, the, the actual narrative is that you fucking hated me and I was the reason, you know, it, like... Yeah, like that shit doesn't happen all right. the time. Right. Vince Foster guy keeps coming up. That's uh, a very familiar name to me. Uh, remember we talked about this guy when we were kind of getting into Hillary Clinton and mm-hmm. her death and all the people that yeah. there mysteriously died? Well, this was one of those guys. Um, so I wonder if Ken Starr started with this guy and then ended up, you know, with the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. This was the guy that... Uh, the Washington Post is no Donald Trump. There's nothing fishy about Foster's yeah, death. right. This is the guy that uh, went out into the woods, wrapped himself in carpet, and shot, him in the head, shot himself in the head twice. Yeah. Because that's believable. Yeah, I can't believe Just that. like Forrestal and opened the window, jumped out, yeah. shut the window, locked it, and then fell. And it doesn't say that on here for his... It doesn't have a cause of death on his... Let's click on it. See? No cause of death. Of course not. All right. So what does it say about Vince Foster? Um, prior, okay. He was deputy White House counsel during the first half year of President Bill Clinton's administration. Prior to that, he was partner at Rose Law Firm in Little Rock, where he was a colleague and friend of Hillary bitch Clinton, and where, as the Washington Post later wrote, he rose to the pinnacle of the Arkansas legal establishment. At the White House, he was unhappy with work and politics and spiraled into depression. Of course. (coughs) Man. Uh, His death by gunshot was attributed by five official or governmental investigations to suicide, but several conspiracy theories emerged. They needed five different government agencies to investigate the suicide? Of course. That's... It wasn't a fucking suicide for wire and death. Struggling with depression, which after his death was assessed as clinical depression, Foster was prescribed the antidepressant medication Trazodone over the phone by his Arkansas doctor, starting with a low initial dosage. The next day, Foster was found dead in Fort Marcy Park, a federal park in Virginia. An autopsy determined that he was shot in the mouth and no other wounds were found on his body. A draft resignation letter was found torn into 27 pieces in his briefcase. The letter contained a list of grievances, including the WSJ editor's lie without consequence and saying, I was not meant for the job or the spotlight of public life in Washington. Here, ruining people is considered sport. His funeral mass was held at the... Okay, no one cares about that. Um, Funny, it doesn't say anything about how he rolled himself. Oh, maybe here it does. Um, five official or government investigations into Foster's death all concluded that he committed suicide. Let's read this nonsense. The first was by the U.S. Park Police in 1993, in whose jurisdiction the original investigation fell. Because of Foster's position in the White House, the Federal Bureau of Investigation 
assisted in the investigation, as did several other state and federal agencies. The result of this investigation was released as a joint report from the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the Park Police on August 10, 1993, and it stated the condition of the scene, the medical examiner's findings, and the information gathered clearly indicate that Mr. Foster committed suicide. Clearly. Investig- number two, investigations by a coroner and independent counsel Robert B. Fisk uh, and a 58-page report released on June 30, 1994, also concluded that Foster had committed suicide. This report made use of FBI resources and incorporated the views of several experienced pathologists. It concluded the overwhelming weight of the evidence compels the conclusion that Vince Foster committed suicide at Fort Marcy Park on July 20, 1993. Number three and number four. Two investigations by the U.S. Congress found that Foster committed suicide. Uh, one was by Representative William F. Klinger, Jr. from Pennsylvania, the ranking Republican on the House Government Reform and Oversight Committee, who reached this conclusion in a finding published on August 12, 1994. The other was by the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, wherein both the majority Democratic and minority Republican reports reached the same conclusions in reports issued on January 3, 1995. Why the fuck are they investigating it? Who knows, dude? That doesn't even make sense. Theories of a cover-up persisted, however, some of which were promulgated by the Arkansas Project. Speculation and conspiracy theories featured on talk radio and elsewhere caused pain to the Foster family. Number five. What the fuck is the Arkansas Project? I don't know. I'm going to click on that after I read this. Here. After a three-year investigation, Whitewater Independent Counsel Ken Starr released a report on October 10, 1997, also concluding that the death was a suicide. In response, Sheila Foster Anthony, Vince Foster's sister, said she agreed with Starr's findings but criticized his investigation for having taken so long, thus contributing to the existence of ridiculous conspiracy theories proffered by those with a profit or political motive. Who the fuck makes a profit for saying dude didn't kill himself? I don't know. Unless you're writing a book. Um, so my question, though, is why does it not say anything about the carpet? Well, that's the thing. I think they're trying to pass that off as uh, ridiculous conspiracy theories. Hmm. So what is this fucking Arkansas series of investigative press reports funded primarily by conservative businessman Richard Mellon Scaife that focused on criticism of then-President Bill Clinton and his administration. This case spent nearly $2 million on the project. The investigations included the investigation of the 1970s real estate investment that Bill and Hillary Clinton had made in a development known as Whitewater, reopening of allegations that then-Governor Bill Clinton had sexually harassed an Arkansas state employee, and a re-examination of the death of White House aide Vince Foster, which multiple official investigations had found to be a suicide. Interesting. Oh, here's shit about David Brock. <laughs> You've heard about that guy, right? No. And the fucking... His name's all over the fucking... I thought you were making fun of it because it's close to my name. I've never heard his name before. No, David Brock is fucking... I believe he's a... I'm getting the right guy here. Yeah, he's a... He's gay. Not that there's anything to do with it. But he, uh... David Brock was is dating the uh, the Pizzagate pizza place. Oh, guy. no shit. Yeah, interesting connection there, huh? Yeah. Uh, so what was his project reporter invest, 
investigators were hired, including David Rock, who later, after reversing his political stance, described himself as a Republican hitman, and Rex Armistead, a former police officer who was reportedly paid 350000 for his efforts, also assisting the project. So David Brock was part of this investigation for investigation Arkansas project. Yeah. For Arkansas, okay, but then, let's see here. Uh, author and commentator who founded the media watchdog group Media Matters for... Maybe I got the wrong guy. Yeah, because it says partners William Gray. That's not, dude. Hang on. This is right there. Former right-wing journalist turned pro-Clinton crusader. Yeah, this is the same guy. Um, and I'll find it here. It's got to have something on here about that. Killing the Messenger. No, that's not that. That's the movie, though. All right, so let's see. What does it say here? David Brock. Formerly the, formerly the domestic partner of William Gray, their relationship ended in a bitter three-year-long battle in which Brock and Gray traded angry eggs, replete with charges of blackmail, theft, financial, blah, 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 blah. Um, let's see here. Who the fuck is this? This is the guy. What was that thing? The, uh... James Elephantis? I was going to say put Pizzagate in there. I swear that's that fucking guy. Former lovers. Mm. Yeah, click there, it says connection. Yeah. Which one? This one? No, right down, right where. This up, one? up, 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 up. This one? No. This one. That Jump to connection to David Brock of Media Matters. Alright. Tony Podesta, very close to from Elephant, is using Comet Ping Pong every year to host his birthday party. No, it's not. It just has former lovers right there. So they were. So I was right. Yeah, you were right. David Brock and James Elephantus were former lovers. Yep. And Elephantus is connected to Ping Pong, or Comet Ping Pong, which is connected to the whole Tony Podesta Pizzagate nonsense, which. Overall, I find the whole thing to be interesting because originally Brock was investigating the Clintons, then he turned around and, and decided to start sucking on Hillary's teat. Basically, because he saw who they were killing and didn't want to die. I'm or guessing he got paid up. that's probably what it is. It's probably a payoff too. It was like, hey, you switch sides and you know you can see whatever and i mean it is what it is right it's interesting uh but i do want to do a vince foster wrapped in bacon <laughs> i wonder where people fucking know how they all right Allegations of cover-up by lead investigator. Ken Starr's, at the time, lead investigator, U.S. Attorney Miguel Rodriguez, 
emphatically disagree with Starr's conclusion that Foster committed suicide, referring to photographs and medical testimony suggesting a second gunshot wound on Foster's neck, evidence he asserts Starr suppressed. Concerning the cover-up, he wrote in his resignation letter, As an ethical person, I do not believe I could be involved in what they were doing. Nice. Um, Other theories. James Norman, former senior editor at Forbes magazine, discussed and wrote about Foster having a Swiss bank account and possible espionage. An FBI interview report by Agent Russell Bransford. God damn it. Fucking, I rolled over my cord and I can't can't move my head. Um, (laughs) Agent Russell Bransford and a handwritten note from the Office of Independent Counsel found at the National Archives referred to Vince Foster's Swiss bank account. The comments of Patrick Knowlton, a grand jury witness who had been at the park where Foster's body was found, were included as part of Starr's report over Starr's objection. Judge John D. Butzner. Butzner! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder how many times he heard that. Wrote to Judges Peter Fay and David Santel after Knowlton submitted a motion that his comments be included as part of an appendix to the final report. Quote, I suspect that if we deny this motion, we will be charged as conspirators in the cover-up, end quote. And concluded, quote, I suggest we let the motion and attachment speak for themselves, end quote. Judge Fay wrote that Knowlton contradicted specific factual matters and takes issue with the very basics of the report filed by Starr. Knowlton's comments were ordered, included as part of the official report on September 26, 1997. Two days later, Starr filed a nine-page motion to appeal that the comments by Knowlton not be included in the report. The next day, Starr's motion was denied, and Knowlton's comments were included as part of the final official report on the death of Vincent W. Foster. John H. Clark, attorney for Patrick Knowlton, argued that by using the FBI, the Office of Independent Counsel employed the very agency it was designed to be independent from, the Justice Department, Clark, further stated the investigation under the auspices of Mr. Fisk was little more than an FBI investigation. Publicly available official federal government records indicate that throughout the 16-day U.S. Park Police investigation into the case, FBI participation was significant. Attorney Clark's letter argues the publicly available federal government record upon which the Fisk report is based is replete with evidence that the FBI concealed to the true facts around surrounding Mr. Foster's death. Then it gets into the whole fucking Arkansas project. So where in the fuck did this whole carpet thing come from? Because that's all I ever heard. I know, that's why, I mean, I, you told me, but I'd never heard it. But yet nothing, I, so I, I wonder if they've, like, scrubbed all that shit out, because if you the moment you say oh he was wrapped in carpet with two gunshot wounds there's no way it's a fucking suicide mm-hmm. so if you get that Scrub shit out, out yeah. then yeah but when you when you searched it and you clicked on it it said in the little description carpet fibers but i don't see carpet fibers anywhere in here hmm. like hit back once Yeah, Foster there. had some blonde hair and carpet fibers on his suit jacket, and he had semen in his underwear. So where did that come from? Where is that gone? Why is that, that there anymore? Let's see. Interview for Salon.com. Hang on. I saw that right here. It's right there. In an interview for Salon.com in 2000, Brock also revealed that he numbers had received funding. But see, that doesn't say anything about it. That's how it starts, but that's not what it is. Yeah. Let's see. Is there another part where it says an interview? 
with Salon.com? No. No. So what the fuck is going on here? I don't know. All right. There it is. Where? He suggests that Foster had some blonde hair and carpet fibers on his suit jacket, and he had semen in his underwear. So the Jerry Falwells and the right wing right wing crowd get a hold of this information, and they start making movies alleging that the Clintons were involved in this murder. So, a the Clinton Chronicles. Um, that's interesting. In researching the debacle created by and surrounding Foster's death, Moldea found that the most oft-used conspiracy scenario could be traced back to Park Police Major Robert Hines, who shared the idea with Reed Irvine and Christopher Ruddy. Moldea concludes and Major Hines publicly maintains that Hines incorrectly told Irvine and Ruddy that there is no exit wound in Foster's head. I don't think there was anything nefarious here. He was being approached by reporters, and he wanted something to say. Still, the missing exit wound claim continued to surface. Moldea's research sought, among other things, to discover the origins of this line of investigation into the Clinton's credibility. Then it gets into that other thing we read with the carpet fibers on his suit jacket and had semen in his underwear. So I wonder if they've just pulled from that that he was wrapped in fucking carpet. But I've always heard that, so I, I find that odd. Where I don't even know where the fuck I heard that originally. But I've always heard that about Vince Foster, that whole death. Um, so, let's see. I don't know. Is there anything else? Right here. New York Times. Most of the carpet fibers found on Mr. Foster's clothing were consistent with, and it's got dot to dot, speculation that Mr. Foster was wrapped and moved in a carpet. So it came from fucking New York Times. From October 11th, 1997. I wonder if that's the thing from, uh... You want that, yeah, like, that's up there. Ken Starr. No, it's Stephen Labaton. Labaton! Alright. Try and scan this right to that part that I was starting to read there. <laughs> There's Webb Hubble. That's Chelsea's dad. Mm hmm. Hubble said that he was not aware that Foster was experiencing any type of stress. Hubble answered no to all questions concerning any noticeable changes in Foster's appearance, physical ailments, headaches, loss of appetite, or any kind of stomach trouble. Hubble's last conversation with Foster was on Monday, July 19th, the day before Foster died, but that he did not recall what they had discussed. Uh, where is that? It's, uh... Hello. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to fucking read this for everybody at home, so I don't have to. Um, 
the gun found in Mr. Foster's hand, a thirty-eight caliber revolver, is consistent with the one that killed him, and largely because of the coarse texture of the handle, it is not unusual that no fingerprints were found on the weapon. What? Does that make any no, sense? No, I've never it heard that. It is not unusual that no fingerprints were found on the weapon. Really? So you're telling me, if I wanted to shoot myself, and I got a gun, I could do it, but there would be no fingerprints. There wouldn't be a handprint. There wouldn't be anything to indicate that, oh, bullshit. That's no. fucking insane. Ask your dad that. He's been a cop. Mm-hmm. Has he ever fucking had somebody that uh, shot, got shot, had a gun, committed suicide, whatever, where they didn't find fucking fingerprint of some kind no, on a gun? there's always going to be a fingerprint that on a gun. That is nonsense. All right. Uh, the report noting that virtually all theories that the manner of death was not suicide rest on an assumption that the gun did not belong to Mr. Foster goes on to say that testimony, circumstantial evidence, and forensic evidence support the conclusion that the gun did in fact belong to Mr. Foster. Most of the carpet fibers found on Mr. Foster's clothing were consistent with samples taken from a carpet in his Georgetown home. This finding does not support speculation that Mr. Foster was wrapped and moved in a carpet. That there was no suicide note is not particularly meaningful since the vast majority of people who commit suicide do not leave notes. The report also dismisses the testimony of Patrick Knowlton, a witness who says he was at the park on the day Mr. Foster died and did not see his car, but did see a person who stared at Mr. Knowlton menacingly. The report concludes that there is no reliable evidence that anyone at the park had any connection to Mr. Foster's death. The report's conclusion are based on analysis performed by a team of investigators and outside experts. They included Dr. Bronca. No one gives a shit who they were. Um, I think it's pretty sad that after $30 million and three years, Ken Starr can't figure out precisely what was on Foster's mind when he says he killed himself, said Christopher Reddy, who has written critically of the investigation for the New York Post and the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, a daily-owned... Okay... Whatever. Hmm. But there was carpets found on his carpet fibers. Fibers. Which, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean you were wrapped in fucking carpet. Right. But that whole thing must have spawned from that, I guess. That would be my guess, yeah. Either way. What the fuck are we talking about? James Forrestal? We were, yeah. Yeah, well, ultimately... Vince Foster and his similar death, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, made that connection. Anyways, so final thoughts. I still think, uh, I don't know, I guess I can't really speak much on Vince Foster other than, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. I would assume, here's the thing, there's way too many people connected to the Clintons that died. Mm-hmm. If you took... Uh, people that are connected to me and rooted them outwards, you're not going to find that many deaths in my 30-something years alive. Now, granted, I'm not a political, I don't have as many contacts as her or them, Mm -hmm. but just be, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just be, yeah, I I don't, I don't think that's, it's very suspicious. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So, with Vince Foster, he had information and that whole thing is a giant mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Forrestal, 
he had information too, and it's very clear he was not about keeping it a secret. Right. He wanted to expose it, whether it had something to do with Majestic 12, UFOs, uh, what he saw in Antarctica, right. this whole Israel, Zionist fucking nonsense that mm-hmm. they're talking about. Whatever the case may be, he had information. He wasn't, it seemed like he was probably going to release it, write a book, whatever. I'm sure it was actually and in his diaries and they cut all that out. Yeah, I would be willing to bet so too. And mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Okay, so you've you've released the book of the mm-hmm. diaries. Now let's see the actual diaries. Right, and they're gone. Because yeah, you would never. It's never going to come out. And this is why you don't ever hear about James Forrestal because gotta fucking suppress that name because we don't want the road. Yeah, that's why you don't hear about the Battle of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Everybody should just start fucking posting everything on this stuff. Just get it out there to people that you. You're to follow you on social media because then maybe right. someone will see it and spread it to them. And just keep putting the shit out there. Just keep bringing it back because yep. nobody knows about it yet. It exists. Yeah, you know it's something I mean? that happened in our history. It's not in any fucking book. Like history Why don't book, they you teach don't learn that, that in. That's where I was going. That's where I was going with school. That. Like yeah. that, the Battle of Los Angeles. Even if it was a fucking weather balloon, it's pretty substantial in mm-hmm. like how we reacted to it. I mean, kind of odd. Well, not only that, but the taxpayers, that's our money wasted, 1,500 yeah. rounds, or yeah. 1,400, whatever it was, with no answer for it. They yeah. don't talk about it, you know? Well, I think, if anything, there ought to be some fucking scientific studies on how elusive weather balloons are. Because apparently, yeah. they can have 1,400... Well, they should, they should make planes out of you weather, know, weather balloons, yeah. because they can't crash at that well, point. They, they, they can, can be, be shot down. Yeah, they can be hit uh, yeah. how many hundreds of times. That's a good point. We should post that. We should you know? say that. Well, yeah, it is. Well, I mean, if you actually think logically about all this shit, none of it makes sense. Right. It, it's clearly a fucking lie. Mm-hmm. It's irritating. Like that thing I just, and this is completely off topic, but I'm going to throw it out there. That thing I just showed you, the picture from the Mars rover. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. identical to a picture from uh, some island the Devon, off of Canada. Devon Hills in Canada or something Devon like Island in Canada. Yeah. I think it was. It, it, okay, so... Here, let's search it so people can just fucking go do yeah. this on their own, and, and then, then we'll end the episode. Yeah. Um, what was it? Devon Island, Canada. Canada. Oh, right there. So if you Google Devon Island, Mars, let's see, if you go to images, is it going to have the side-by-side? doesn't look like No, but look at the Wikipedia, because it said you could... Oh, right there, down there. Scroll down a little bit more. It's right there in the middle. Um, I want to be able to get people there real quick. Like, uh, let's see. Humans are free is where where it's at. All right, Devon Island is the largest uninhabited island on Earth. It is located in Baffin Bay, Kewaukee region, Nunavut, Canada. It is one of of the larger members of the Canadian Arctic Archipelago, second largest of the Queen Elizabeth Islands. Um, okay. So, the Flashline Mars Arctic Research Station project entered its third season in 2004. In July 2004, Devon Island became the temporary home for five scientists and two journalists who were to use the Mars-like environment to simulate living and working on the Red Planet. (laughs) April 2007 through August 21, 2007 was the longest simulation period and included 20 scientific studies. The Houghton Crater is now considered one of Earth's best Mars analog sites. 
It is the summer home to a complementary scientific program. NASA's Houghton Mars Project, HMP, has conducted geological, hydrological, botanical, and microbiological studies in this harsh environment since 1997. HMP 2008 is the 12th field season at Devon Island. In 2007, fossils of the seal ancestor Pujila Darwini were found on the island. On July 16, 2013, the Canadian Space Agency assigned Canadian astronaut Jeremy Hansen to a secondment with the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration at the University of Western Ontario at Houghton Crater in preparation for a potential future manned exploration of Mars, the Moon, or the asteroids. So what they're saying here is that they're using that island as a practice site for Mars. Then why in the fuck are you taking pictures with a rover there and releasing them as it's though it's Mars? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's the, what they're saying. That's the fucking they don't sound studio for the Mars. Yeah, every Mars mission, just like they had a sound studio for the Moon. This is the Mars mm-hmm. one, just with the technology we have now. We're outing the fucking sound stage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Basically, crazy. That's from last year too. Rover is a hoax, and here's where it is really filmed. NASA's footage of Mars is fake and filmed right here on Earth, conspiracy theorists claim. Why do we have to use the the conspiracy theorists? Like, you know what I mean? Mm. Is it really damaging anymore? It's almost like when you call everyone a fucking racist, right. eventually it loses its power. You know what I mean? When you use it too much, it no longer holds power. Right. It's... Okay. Um, let's see what this says. Beamed back. They have pinned on the bombshell allegations. Signals the Mars service in more ways than any other place on Earth. Investigators. Let's see. Robots are supposedly scouring the Martian landscape for signs of water. Never reached their target. Instead, they allegedly fell short on land of Devon Island in Canada. I don't know, dude. It's characterized by freezing temperatures, barren terrain, and strangely familiar red rocks. NASA readily admits it as a base there and drives rovers around its rocky surface. So if they're... I don't know. I don't think we went to Mars, dude. I don't either. I've been saying that for a while. The more, like... Even if they're using it as a practice site... Why are you releasing pictures from there claiming it's from Mars? Right. Yeah, there's that's just stupid. I don't I don't get it. Anyways, point is it's all a fucking lie. It's all bullshit. And uh Yeah. I'm kinda wanna look at the site more. Like another time. These uh related articles? Yeah. Yeah. I can leave it up and we can come back to it. Anyways James Forrestal did not commit suicide. Nope. I don't give a shit what anybody says about it. Do your own research, everybody, if you're unsure. Yes. But, uh, yeah, that'll do it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Dave. Cheers. Thank you.
D2R Podcast Network, brought to you by Dream to Reality Entertainment. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the D2R Podcast Network on iTunes. Give us a rating and leave us a comment. We'd really appreciate it. Your word of mouth is our only advertisement, so please do us a solid. Share us with everyone you know. Thanks for listening.